This is Suzanne Atkinson with Try to Listen, the podcast for curious triathletes. Each episode features an interview with an athlete, coach, or scientist whose passion lies in triathlon. It's my job to uncover their story. Hi, thanks for joining me today. This is episode 10 of Try to Listen. In today's episode, I'm interviewing Mark Usher. Mark is someone that I first became acquainted with nearly 20 years ago. Mark is someone who is quite active on the beginner triathlete forums, which I spent a lot of time learning from when I first started to do triathlons. And the thing that really impressed me about Mark that made him someone I wanted to keep in touch with and eventually interview for this podcast is how resilient he is in the face of all types of adversity, um, how supportive he is of other triathletes, no matter their experience level, and his ability to just keep on going and finding the positives, no matter what challenges he's facing. Uh, As I think you'll discover during our interview, Mark has faced a number of health challenges on his own, um, and yet he keeps finding a way to move forward, keeps finding a way to use his body in the way that it's able to uh, perform for him, and uh, he just never gives up. And, um, you know, from my perspective, as Mark has, um, left triathlon behind as a participant, um, and gotten more involved in swimming and master swimming, I was really impressed by his uh, progress towards becoming a swim official and the steps that he took to get trained in that and certified and the steps that are required, um, before you're, um, deemed capable of officiating a swim meet. Um, you know, without um, a trainer next to you or without having someone supervise you. So from being an age group triathlete to master swimmer to rubbing elbows with some of our recent Olympians, um, Mark's got a great story. I hope that you're able to extract some lessons from this in terms of um, resiliency, overcoming obstacles, and recognizing that, um, you know, a medical diagnosis that might put other people on the sidelines doesn't have to keep you out of the sport. Enjoy. Hi there. Thanks for joining me today. This is Suzanne. And today I'm interviewing Mark Usher. Mark lives in Sarasota, Florida, and he has been a longtime inspiration for me for his tenacity and endurance sports and uh, continuing to work on the things that are important to him. Thanks for joining me today, Mark. Glad to be here. Thank you. Um, So, Mark, I was really inspired um, when I first got to know you by your your history, especially in terms of your, um, your health. Uh, is it okay mm-hmm. if we just dive right into that so that people can sure. get an idea of your background? Mm-hmm. Do you want me to, to ask you some questions or do you want to just t- tell me about how the, your surgery came about in the first time? The uh, first time I, just, I just got to give you a little background. Uh, I was born with a, a bicuspid aortic valve. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which is a fancy way of saying that, uh, two of the valve flaps on my aortic valve were fused together at birth. And, uh, I was diagnosed like when I was five years old. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it, back then they said, well, it's a heart murmur, you know, that's about as technical as I got mm-hmm. and had no symptoms and, uh, never had any restrictions on my activities. 
Mm-hmm. So, so growing up, uh, I was active in sports, you know, in uh, junior high and high school, I played football, I wrestled, I swam on a, a summer club team, uh, did track and field, you know, in the spring and, and, uh, uh never had any problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, the, the doctors kept saying, well, you know, when you get really old, you know, you <laughs> might have a problem, you know, some and people back, don't, you might. Back like, then, I said, was like, what, 30? Of uh, said 40. Yeah. <laughs> okay. so I'll, I'll never, yeah, oh, that's too hard. You know, I'll never have a problem. Yeah. Um, so anyway, did, did great. And, um, uh, till I was 47 and, uh, I was a job at that time where I was traveling quite a bit and, uh, you know, globally, I was traveling to Europe. I was going to the far East a lot mm-hmm. and I started to get a lot of fatigue. I couldn't recover from, uh, shortness of breath, walking through airports. Mm. Um, and, uh, it finally got to the point, uh, you know, summer of 2000, when uh, it was really affecting my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, well, I just got to work hard to get in shape. So I, I'd go to the gym, you know, and just work my butt off, you know, trying to, to overcome it. Because I perceived it was, you know, again, a, a fitness issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, at the end of the year, uh, I just, I could barely do anything. I mean, I could, couldn't stand up for very, uh, long periods of time. Wow. Uh, daily activities were just, you know, becoming almost impossible. So, uh, And you had no you, idea at that time that it was maybe related I, to your heart? It's, it, you know, I'd never had any problems with my heart the whole time, my mm-hmm. whole life. And so I, I never, never registered that I should be alert to that. Um, but I finally went to my, uh, my, uh, GP and, uh, he listened to it. You know, I said, well, you know, I think that the valve is going bad on you mm-hmm. and, uh, we ought to you know, get you in to see a cardiologist. So it was on a Monday on a Wednesday uh, morning. I went to see, uh, my cardiologist he listened to it for about five seconds and he said, it's time, you know, got to <laughs> wow. replace it. Okay. And, uh, I said, what are the consequences? He said, well, if you don't do it, you probably have about a three year life expectancy. Wow. Okay. Which got you, got my attention right away. Sure. And he, and he said, you probably ought to plan on doing it within the next three months. Mm-hmm. Um, so my next question was, okay, how soon could we do it? <laughs> he, he, he pulls out his, his phone and calls a surgeon friend of his. And uh, basically says, you know, you got any openings soon? And the surgeon said, Friday morning. This is on Wednesday. Oh, boy. <laughs> so uh, uh, he turned to me and said, this is, you know, December 13th. Okay. And he said, yeah, it's not work out okay. You know, you get the surgery done. You have Christmas holiday off, you know, it's a little time to recover. So you know, yeah. it's okay with you when we do it. I said, fine, tell him. Book it. And, uh, of course, then, you know, rush home and that they wanted me in the hospital next the next day to do a cath before the surgery uh-huh so, so i had just you know like seemed like you know eight hours all of a sudden i'm, I'm checking into the uh, wow. hospital they mm-hmm. did a, a cath uh, the day before my cardiologist did that and just to see if there's anything else they need to do when they're in there okay yeah. i had a meeting with uh, the surgeon and uh, the big question was okay do you get a mechanical valve or do you want a tissue valve mm-hmm. and remember this is you know 20 years ago now mm-hmm. and uh so mechanical valve will last forever. Okay. Basically it's yeah. lifetime guarantee. <laughs> um, the, the downside of that is you're going to have to be on a, an anticoagulant, you know, coumadin mm-hmm. the rest of your life. Uh, the other option would be a tissue valve. At that time it was, you know, cow or sheep valve or whatever. And, uh, at that time that, you know, the materials weren't, uh, ones that held up very well. Okay. Yeah. And they said that, okay, you're probably going to look at uh, maybe a 10 to 12 year, uh, you know, useful life of this valve. Right. Uh, then you have to get it replaced. 
Sure. And you'll have to do every, you know, 10, 12 years. And said at your age and your health, you're looking probably three more surgeries. Yeah. Okay. I mean, what's a, what's a cow's lifespan? Is that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so the, the good side, you know, is that you don't have to use anticoagulants with, you know, tissue valves. Right. But, uh, but they, they will wear out. And uh, he said that the more you use it, the faster it's going to wear out too. So if you're going to stay active, mm-hmm. you know that's going to accelerate the the uh, the cycle and, and surgeries. And he said that you know the uh, mortality rate, at least at that time, doubled every time you did it. Okay. Oh wow. So for for the first time, it's like two percent, then it's four percent, you know, then it's eight percent. Right. Just because of the scar tissue and and the complications with subsequent surgeries. So yeah. Um, I said you know. So mechanical valve, and I said I'll, I'll deal with the Kimbenen. So uh, mm-hmm. made that decision. Um, had the surgery the next morning. I was first on the, the docket, so you know, it, uh, again, I had surgery Friday morning, and they discharged me on Tuesday. They went home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was, you know, probably spent then uh, probably three to four weeks, and, and you know, you're still you're pretty sore, you know, when you they do that. Okay, opening your chest up and everything. Um, I was functional probably within a month, but it wasn't, it took me a long time to really get over the trauma of the surgery. It, it was, uh-huh. you know, six to eight months before I really felt normal again. And um, when you say normal, do you just mean in terms of energy or, or discomfort? Yeah. yeah uh, energy, uh, stamina, um, just, you know, without getting too graphic, you know, when they do the open heart, you know, they basically just cut your sternum. They use, it looks like a floor jack, you know, to spread your <laughs> yeah, ribs. to spread it. Yep. And the, the trauma of the body is really what, what gets to you. This is yeah. my case. And, you know, from the, the time I woke up, my heart was fine. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was just the, you know, the trauma that, you know, the surgery itself. Um, at that time, actually too, they, they, uh, the minimum invasive techniques had just started to come into vogue then. Mm-hmm. And I talked to my surgeon about that and he said, well, you know, I've done like a couple dozen minimum invasive. I've been in like thousands of the conventional. Yeah. And at that point, eh, let's go the safer. You know, you, you know, you get more practice doing the, the regular ones. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. So uh, anyway, uh, but the conversation I had uh, shortly after the surgery with my cardiologist was that he said, look, you used to go to the gym a lot. You uh, used to do like heavy lifting. Don't do that anymore. Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he said, you can do all the aerobic stuff you want. Okay. Mm-hmm. As much as you can handle, you know. At that point, I really, I never been really a serious you know, endurance athlete. Yeah. Um, just, you know, my physique didn't really match up well to it <laughs> and, uh, you know, short legs and all that kind of stuff, but, but, uh, it's okay. It's fine. I, I'll do what I can do. So at first, you know, it's a lot of walking, you know, some casual swimming, uh, you know, got my old college bike out and cleaned it up and mm-hmm. started riding that around the neighborhood. Now, had you been and, a swimmer before? Yeah, I, I well, I swam, uh, I was a club swimmer during the summers when I was growing up. Okay. Um, in the mid sixties. Uh, this is of course in Indiana. So, you know, the, the season was, uh, Memorial Day to Labor Day. Okay. okay. What the yeah. weather permitted. And, uh, back then it was, you know, uh, you know, you had seasons. So, you know, you swam in the summer, played football in the fall, mm-hmm. wrestled in the winter, you track and field in the spring. Yeah. Multi-sport and not, athlete. <laughs> and it's not, it's not like, you know, now we're, you know, football players play football and they get spring football and, you know, you right. around pretty much <clears throat> anymore. Right. But, uh, I, I had some background in swimming. Um, and yeah, really enjoyed it. In fact, one of my regrets was uh, after I got beat up playing football was that, you know, I should have stuck in the swimming and been on the high school team, too. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you can't second guess those things, I guess. Yeah. Um, but anyway, you know, I, I started, uh, you know, doing more aerobic stuff. And um, a guy I worked with at the time was a fairly serious triathlete and was trained for Ironman. And, and 
he would bring his bike to the office because <laughs> on, on Wednesdays because you know he would leave early and he and a couple other guys would do long rides on Wednesday afternoons. Mm-hmm. And I always go down to his office and I just kind of drool on his bike. I love <laughs> bikes and mechanical stuff and whatever. Right. And um, a few months later, you know, he walks in my office, mm-hmm. flops down an entry blank on my uh. desk, and saying, "We're having this beginners triathlon, uh, triathlon of the Y." You know, wow. And you need to sign up. Okay. You put up or shut up. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. It was two weeks. Okay. Everybody so I, needs I a friend like that. Yeah. But I, I trained for a whole two weeks. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> for it. And so how, how hard this could be. I, you know, I swam when I was a kid and, and yeah. I've run, you know, sometime, you know, and I know how to ride a bike. Mm-hmm. So I did that and, and, you know, I wasn't dead last, but I could see dead last more. I finished. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, you know, it, you know, it took off. It was a snake swim in a 50 meter pool. Mm-hmm. I did the first length. I like I was in the final Olympics, you know, oh, yeah. I just died, you know, the rest of the time, but, um, had a great time. I mean, I, at, once I recovered, yeah. um, uh, this is kind of fun. You now, know, so, how, uh, how long after surgery was this? This was, oh, I'm sorry. Um, this was, uh, three years, three okay. years after surgery. Okay. And, uh, they were just forming a, a triathlon club at the Y. And so I was one of the charter members of that. I signed up for it and uh, just started in races. I did like maybe two races the first year and then, then started building up. And I was doing, you know, you know, four races a year, probably mm-hmm. on average for the next 10 years. Great. Um, mostly local sprints. Um, uh, did, uh, I remember Rev3, you know, they had a, yeah. a, an Ollie uh, down in Venice, Florida. I did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, St. Anthony's. Uh, up in uh, St. Pete, which is, you know, mm-hmm. one of my favorite races. <laughs> yeah, I love St. Um, Pete. Um, so I had a, a good time doing that. Um, and did I, I just, you know, was doing it for a long time. And uh, uh, then <laughs> uh, I, I, I did have some nagging injuries. I, I Actually, I didn't miss uh, most of 2010. I had some Achilles problems mm-hmm. and was now, in a boot for, I'm sorry. Oh, I, I wanted to ask you a couple questions about, um, like, your previous uh, sporting background, you mentioned that you played yeah. football in high school and you yeah. got real beat up right. playing football. Did yeah. you have any sequela of those old, old injuries that came back to haunt you when you started doing triathlons? Um, yeah, yeah, I did. You know, like, I, I've, I've got a uh, knee problem. I dislocated my kneecap, my right knee mm-hmm. playing football and that it's never been the same. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, some tracking issues with that. And, uh, uh, you know, orthopedic surgeons suggested a couple times a week, probably go in and work on it a little bit, but mm-hmm. you know, it's, you know, I don't really want to do it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you why I'm asking, um, because yeah. I have uh, a theory that I've developed in it. It certainly applies to me. Um, and so I'm very curious about people that start triathlon when they're older, um, mm-hmm. and you know, older than 18. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. because if you've had Injuries when you're young, um, young people are very adaptable and very resilient. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I had a, uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of ankle injuries from playing soccer. And um, after the first dozen ankle twists, they didn't hurt anymore. They would just twist my ankle and I'd yeah. pop up and I'd run again. Well, I didn't realize that I had created um, such instability in the joint that by the time I was, how old am I now, 50, um, I needed to have surgery on, I need surgery on both ankles. I had surgery done on the left mm. ankle last fall, but it was years and years. It was basically 30 plus years of, of this chronic instability that created significant arthritis and wearing of the joints. Mm. So 
Um, I'm very jealous of people that have good joints. Uh, and, and so my, my theory is that if you've been um, an, an athlete in high school or college um, with some physicality to it where you may have injuries, if you've continued to be active, um, you know, I'm just wondering how many of those people have, have injuries that prevent them from continuing versus people yeah. that don't pick it up again until they're, you know, 50 or maybe they were never an athlete and they start being athletic when they're 30 or 40. They don't have these old uh, traumatic injuries from when they were young and, um, yeah. and went a lot harder. That's, that's the reason I'm asking. And so I'm just curious how other people um, manage it and deal with those things as they crop up. Um, well, well, I think that one of the things that's helped, helped me over the years is uh, I've always been active. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, you know, I used to, again, be in the gym a lot, lifting weights. I think, you know, that's helped yeah, you that. a lot of my joint stability, I think, particularly mm-hmm. my shoulders and so on. Um, sometimes it works against you <laughs> as yeah. a swimmer. But, but uh, <laughs> I, I think just, you know, if I'd sat around for, for, you know, 15 years, I think it, it, it wouldn't have gone as well. Yeah. So. Good. But um, we just <laughs> kind of finish up my background a little bit because yeah. yeah, I went 17 years after my surgery. And... Um, then I uh, it went to one of my regular checkups, and, and my doctor said, well, you've got, uh, you know, first-degree AB block. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's that? Okay, <laughs> and learn about this little, you know, SA node in the heart that, you know, generates the electrical signals and, uh, you know, fires the atrium, then fires the ventricle. Uh, they can see on the EKG that, it, okay, that's lagging a little bit, had no symptoms at the time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they had to watch that. So, I, you know, I, I kind of brushed it off at the time. Six months later... Um, I'm swimming, you know, in the morning and I, I do about, you know, 50 meters and I just, I can't do any more. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm fried. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I called the cardiologist and they said, look, you haven't called for 17 years. <laughs> You're doing great. You know, come in right now. Okay. And, um, it turned out I, I developed stage three, maybe block. And my heart was, uh, I had bradycardia. Yeah. And my heart wouldn't get up about, about 32 beats a minute. Oh boy. That and would just, prevent yeah. you from doing much in the pool. That's right, or any, anything really. But yeah. then that, that led to, okay, okay, you need a pacemaker. And only old people get pacemakers, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I went in uh, again two days later and they uh, put a dual lead pacemaker in. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, one of these Abbott ones, it, it's uh, wireless. Hmm. Um, okay. And uh, I have a little thing by my bed at home and it, yeah. it downloads data every night and they yep. monitor it from my doctor's office. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, it has all these adjustments on it and actually the tech that works for my cardiologist is a competitor of rower and uh-huh. when i you know they went back for follow-ups after i got the pacemaker and it, it was really slow to ramp up okay so it took me forever to warm up swimming right just like i can adjust that you know so, and she did uh, she fine-tuned it yep. she you know she knows you know what the demands of swimming are so there's like a threshold setting and then a a, a rate setting okay mm-hmm. that she could and we fine-tuned that a couple times and, and so it got me kind of dialed into you know, be able to do things again. Mm-hmm. Now, do you um, know, how long ago was the pacemaker? Uh, it got it in uh, March of 2017. Okay. Three years ago. So okay. does it have an accelerometer in it that senses your activity? Yes. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Those are great. When, so, so that when you start being active, it senses that there's, that there's movement and it will increase your heart rate to help increase blood flow and it speeds up the warming up process. Yeah. Well, in fact, that was one of the problems because it, um, it works great for runners and, and cyclists, mm-hmm. but with swimmers, because you're <laughs> horizontal right. and you don't really ha- have, you know, it's, it's only a smooth motion or whatever. It's not the, the sensing uh, ability. Yeah. Okay? 
in the in the standard settings. That's why you know I was, I was fortunate that the tech knew. Okay, here's what swimmers need. Okay, right. so so my threshold's a little bit lower. Okay, so it'll okay. start kicking in a little quicker. Okay, uh, but then the then <laughs> to finish the pacemaker thing, um, it was working fine. Okay, but then uh, a year ago in May, I get a call from the doctor's office. Mm-hmm. They say you've got AFib. Uh-oh. What do you mean I have AFib? <laughs> and I don't have AFib. You know, yeah, you do. And mm-hmm. what they could tell, you know, by by uh, downloading the data. And it was funny because I got an argument with him actually on the phone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, like I said, you know, oh, yeah, we saw it last Friday and whatever. I said, well, last Friday I was at Master Swimming, okay? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you know what the uh, the Auburn Sprint set is. I've heard okay? of it, yeah. <laughs> I'll, it's, it's, I'll link to it's, it in the show notes. It, it's 125s, mm-hmm. okay? And you do, you do 10 you know, at a time, and you start, you know, the first 10 are on a minute, then 55 and whatever, okay? You take five seconds off every 10. Okay. It's mm-hmm. a killer workout. Okay. I mean, it, it's, it's really fun to get through it. I mean, yeah. it's not so much fun in the middle of it. And I thought, <laughs> I said, surely what they saw was I did the sprint, the Auburn sprint set and my heart was going crazy and they think that's AFib. Yeah. Uh-huh. And well, it turns out, you know, I was, I didn't know what I was talking about. You know? yeah. <laughs> they, they, they bring me in. Said, nice look, try. You know, your atrium's doing this, you know, your ventricle's doing that. And, uh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, the first, you know, Solution, okay, we'll put you on beta blockers, okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, went on metropolol, and then we charged some sodobol. They didn't do anything for me except maybe, well, I had like every side effect in oh, the world yeah. you know, that was for both of them. And just it made me feel so so tired. I couldn't, you know, I, one day I went to the pool, hopped in, hopped back out. Yeah. I can't do it. And uh, they tried a cardio version, which is basically they try to shock your heart back into rhythm. That didn't work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I got someone meeting with my cardiologist and said, how are you feeling before we tried all these things? And so it was still fine. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's stop them. Okay. So, uh, I have persistent AFib now. Um, but my pacemaker paces me. Right. Um, and it, it's, you know, my resting heart rate was about 40 before mm-hmm. all this you know, stuff happened. But, um, now they've got it set at 70 to kind of split the difference between the atrium and the ventricle basically. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, it works fine. Okay. So, uh, so, no medications or else, yeah. Okay, so just yeah. for for people who are listening who aren't um, quite as familiar with all the medical stuff, <laughs> I'm, sorry about that. Yeah. That's okay. I'm gonna link to a bunch of interesting things in the show notes so people get a little mini med school education. But yeah. the atrial fibrillation is when the heart is beating um, erratically because it's getting uh, too many signals from the top half of the heart. Mm-hmm. Normally, there's one signal that comes from the atrium. That signal gets sent through the heart to the ventricle, and uh, in a health, normal, healthy heart, that signal is sent appropriate to what your activity is. So when you're sleeping, it's at you know, 40, 50, 60 times per minute. When you do activity, um, it will go up to whatever. People are used to 120, 130. So with AFib, if it goes too fast, the bottom half doesn't have time to fill with blood, and then you're actually not getting enough blood flow, and that's what causes the fatigue. Um, so in, in your case, you said that uh, you had done the Auburn sprint set. Did they tell mm-hmm. you what your heart rate was when you were in the AFib? Um, no. I, the, uh, like the, the resting um, atrium rate is about 90 a minute. Mm-hmm. Okay? It's, it's locked into doing that all the time, so, regardless. But okay. I, I don't know when, you know, during the other thing, I, I don't know what. It was. I mean, I, okay, right. I, uh, I have a, a pulse oximeter that I keep by the poolside all the mm-hmm. time. Uh-huh. And, and uh, you know, I check my heart rate 
And normally if I do a hard set, you know, I'm getting like in the 130 range. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then I, you know, just kind of spot check and see how long it takes me to recover and that sort of thing. So I've always been kind of, you know, trying to be cognizant of, of what's going on. Yeah. So you're still in AFib. You're in AFib all the time, but the rate is yeah. controlled. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. And you're already on Coumadin because of your heart valve. So normally right. when people are in AFib, they would get placed on a blood thinner exactly. to prevent complications. Yeah. Good. So um, let's let's fill in some of the stuff in between. Um, yeah. You know, your first triathlon and your oximeter at the poolside. <laughs> you you had yeah. a, a nice um, uh, long uh, triathlon career, and I must yeah. have met you or become acquainted with you during that time yeah. period. Um, <laughs> I first, uh, you know, online met you on the website <laughs> Beginner Triathlete, right. and uh, your, I remember your screen name is Red Corvette. Yes. Tell me about that. <laughs> I had a red Corvette. Uh-huh. <laughs> I had a 1990 red Corvette, mm-hmm. which I, I loved. And uh, the story with that is that my uh, my kids were getting ready to go to high school and needed a third car for them because they were involved in activities and stuff and they needed to be able mm-hmm. to transport themselves. And uh, we went out to look for a used car from them. I saw this in the, in the used lot and I just happened to know that the guy owns the dealership. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'll make you a deal on this. So I ended up, I gave my car to my kids. <laughs> I bought the Corvette. Okay. That's great. And uh, I love that car. It, uh, no, I don't. I wish it did. Yeah. Um, but um, it, it, it's it's fun. Uh, not real practical sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, if, it couldn't take it to Home Depot and haul, you know, uh, mulch in it or anything. But right. uh, it, it was fun, you know, and, you know, at the time. And I'm glad I had it. And, mm-hmm. you know, good memories. Yeah. yeah. So um, during the that time on, um, on being in traffic, this is before I was on. Facebook, and I think before Facebook became uh, a more common forum for us, but I was impressed um, as I got to know your story little by little. Obviously, it's hard to get to know someone um, through an Mm -hmm. an internet forum, but in your response to different people's questions, you would reveal little bits of your story about your heart valve and the fact that you were on Coumadin. Um, And I I think the first time that I read that is when I was really intrigued by by who you were and and how you uh, managed to um, persevere in spite of what some people could consider, uh, you know, life-changing or, um, mm. not, not career ending, but athletic ending intervention. Mm. It sounds like you had very supportive doctors, um, yes. and you got into triathlon after that you recovered from that surgery. So, was, so how did triathlon play into your, um, your ongoing recovery from that bicuspid, uh, valve repair or replacement? Um, Again, it, it kept me active, and, and um, you know, I was never great in any one sport. Mm-hmm. But in, the great thing about triathlon is you can be mediocre in three things, okay, <laughs> and, and still do, still do pretty well, mm-hmm. okay. But it, it, it you know kept me in a discipline, okay, because again, if you're going to do triathlons, um, you have to be able to you know budget your time, you know, plan your schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always kind of been that kind of person anyway. You know, mm-hmm. I, I have a spreadsheet that's because here's the next year and I kind of look ahead at the races I want to do and, yeah. and, and kind of plan my workout schedule, you know, yeah. you get a base period, you get, you know, whatever. And, and, um, but it, it just, just, um, kept me in a discipline, kept me in a schedule. Um, you know, the, the hard things for me, I think were, um, probably the bike. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just from the standpoint that to, to get a, a decent bike right in, you have to do it on the weekends all the time. Yeah, and, to get uh, the time, you mean? Yeah, I mean, if you, get, you want to go out and do like, you know, 40, 50 miles, you, yeah. know, you just can't do that after work, you know? 
Right. Uh, where the swimming and the running, you know, do any time. I, I you know, ran in the dark a lot of mornings, you know. Yeah. And uh, swimming in the dark a lot of mornings, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so that, that that was probably the most difficult thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I alluded to before, I, I love bikes. You know, I love the mechanical aspects. You know, I, I, I love to talk to Michael sometime about that. But yeah. um, uh, just, you know, I like to tinker with them, uh, take them apart, put them back together. Mm-hmm. You know, I had, uh, even though I live in flat Florida, I probably had like, you know, four or five different rear cassettes, you know, for gearing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I got a little hill watching, right. like you know, you know, a little bigger. <laughs> Come to Pittsburgh sometime. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever heard of the Dirty Dozen bike race? Yes, I have. You should yeah. come up and try that with one of your rear cassettes. <laughs> I, I would not do that. No. One of your dinner plate cassettes. Um, actually, I, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry, I, actually, I just sold my tri bike. Oh, did you really? Okay. One, one of the guys I swim with, and I, you know, I haven't done a tri for a couple of years now, mm-hmm. but one of the guys I swim with is young father, wants to get in triathlon. You know, it's like three little kids, mm-hmm. not a huge budget, you know, <laughs> go yeah. out and buy something new. And I said, look, my bike's in the garage and we made a deal on it. And, you know, he's been just, he sends me pictures of oh. <laughs> it was races with my, with my bike, you know. Yeah. I said, it's your bike. That's not my bike anymore. <laughs> I have to do that. You know? That's great. Do you, um, yeah. do you miss it? Yeah, I do. You know. What made um, you decide to, to transition out of it? Um, a couple things. Uh, one of the, one of those time requirement, I guess, just needed to get longer rides in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had one bad crash and uh, hit my head pretty hard on the pavement. Yeah. To the point where I, I cracked my uh, my helmet even. Yeah. People had always cautioned me about, you know, you're on Kuman and you need to be, you'd be careful about this. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that kind of got me thinking, you know, okay. And, and down here, there's some places to ride, but you have to ride through heavy traffic areas to get to them. Yeah. Okay. Or drive someplace and, and, and get out and do it. And I started to get more nervous riding in traffic. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that, that happened was that uh, I had the carpal tunnel syndrome years ago and had surgery. Mm-hmm. And so my hands were still a little tender from that. But then, everything uh, <laughs> else, I developed a Dupuytren's contracture. Oh, okay. Okay. And but, particularly my right hand. Yeah. Another medical and, uh, little lesson we'll give in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. You could encyclopedia out for me. Yeah, that's okay. Um, but uh, basically, it, it's your hand is deformed and the fingers want to curl. And yeah, the, t- the tendons on the front side of your hand get short, yeah. and so the fingers curl up yeah. and you can't straighten them all the way. And I've got some nodules there, and, and they, they say it's, it's not painful, but it actually is. Mm-hmm. I've got a uh, friend who's got it pretty bad, and he's had several yeah. surgeries. You know, I've, I've, had, I've been fortunate. It's only in my right hand. Okay. But um, it, it just got to the point where I, I uh, couldn't use my right hand to shift gears in the bike. Okay. And, um, you know, it's wearing real, you know, heavily padded gloves and stuff, but it's just, just couldn't do it anymore. So mm-hmm. uh, that kind of drove me off the bike. Yeah. And uh, so, so the then, yeah, that's, that's kind of like when I, I transitioned into being like a full-time master swimmer. Yeah. Time. So that's um, that's another part of your, um, your athletic uh, career arc that I want to talk about. Uh, okay. And that's what I, so when I first met you, um, many, many years ago, uh, I was inspired just by the fact that here's a guy who, uh, must own a red Corvette because that's his screen name, (laughs) but he's, he's got uh, a mechanical heart valve and he's on Coumadin and he's out there doing triathlons. I thought that was fantastic. And I really felt like you had a, um, a, uh, fatherly attitude maybe that's not quite right but you know i guess if you start triathlons when you're in your late 40s or 50s there's a certain uh, amount of wisdom you can provide to the person yeah. in their 20s and 30s so mm-hmm. I, I really appreciated that and then over the last several years 
as I've gotten to know you more, um, master swimming is what you're all about. Every day, yeah. every morning, you've trained yeah. with lots of really um, cool coaches. You've yeah. trained with lots of really cool swimmers. You're in a place where yeah. um, swimmers travel to swim in your area and in your pool. Sure. Um, exactly. So t- how did you get into the master swimming down there? Um, I've always uh, swum at a, uh, actually it's a city-owned pool, uh, Arlington Park in Sarasota. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, a 50-meter pool, and then we've got a smaller uh, 25-yard pool. Um, they've always had a some type of master's group there. It, it used to be more casual and kind of loosely organized. Yeah. And um, swim in the afternoon, so I would, you know, after work, it was close to my office. I'd go over and, and swim with about a half a dozen other people. Mm-hmm. And, and this is when I was first getting into to, doing triathlons. And it has some structure, but not a lot. Okay. Um, Ira Klein, who, like, you know, I know who yeah. he is at least. I know Ira. Uh, old friend of, you know, of Terry's. Yeah. And he um, had left the YMCA here where he had been the head coach and started his own program, the Tsunami, uh, Sarasota Tsunamis. Mm-hmm. And the, he got a, a grant to use the, the uh, Arlington Park pool where I swam. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time, a couple of times we went in at night and we were ticked off because, you know, they had 10 lanes and we only had, you know, 10 lanes to, you know, share with among our group in the public. Okay. Mm-hmm. Who's these guys, you know? But anyway, uh, Ira then said, well, you know, let me help with the master's program. So we, we kind of rolled it together. And um, uh, one of the most of the things was that uh, Ira had been a, a vice president at USA, USA Swimming out in Colorado. Uh, during the the 96 Olympic cycle mm-hmm. and uh, Sheila Tarmina, okay, mm-hmm. had worked with him during that time. Yeah. Uh, and Sheila had done her weekend things for years, whatever clinics, but she was looking to kind of settle down and, and have a, a, maybe a more of a base of operations someplace uh, in a destination location. Yeah. Uh, she and I were hooked up. And uh, so she became the coach of the masters mm-hmm. in the mornings uh, doing like three days a week. And then she would do, you know, her, you know, location seminars or clinics on the weekends. Yeah. So had Ira transitioned out of coaching for your group then or? Yeah. Was... Yeah. He would just, his, you know, he would basically do, make up a workout for us and post it. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. And he would go down and focus on the kids and we were kind of on our own. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it, he was, you know, he had fun workouts. You know, we, we liked it a lot. Yeah. Okay? I mean, some, some creative things that, that, that he learned over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sheila came in and it was like, you know, NCAA, you know, <laughs> Division One workouts, okay? Yeah. And, and, and we're here to swim. We're not here to socialize. You know, I'm not here to be, you know, your lifeguard. You know, we're going to do this and, and do it hard. Yeah. And, uh, of course, you know, we've talked before, I know, at least online, about the different philosophies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, at that point, I, you know, I've been kind of following the total immersion stuff for my triathlon stuff mm-hmm. because it, it's really well suited for distance swimming and so on. Yeah. And Sheila came in and now it's all propulsion. Don't worry about the streamlined stuff. You know, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just catch and pull, catch and pull. Yeah. Maybe and, I can uh, get Sheila on a podcast sometime. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, uh, she was there, it's about two years, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, but it just, yeah, actually, I, I, I made tremendous progress under her. And, but most of it, I think, was just having a, a knowledgeable coach on deck. Yeah. Okay. That could give you immediate feedback. Okay. Mm-hmm. And when you're swimming on your own, I mean, you might have a workout, you try to do the workout as well as you can. Mm-hmm. But unless you have feedback, you, you visualize yourself as Michael Phelps all the time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. You don't realize that, yeah, I'm, I'm thrashing here and I'm not doing that. Yeah. Having I re- that feedback. Okay. It's just, you know, 
so important to improving. Yeah. The first time I took a clinic as an, as an adult, um, was with Dave Cameron, who's based out of Minnesota. Yeah. And, um, he showed us, he did several different underwater videos. And I remember when I, it was my turn to swim, yeah. we had, we had done two or three hours of clinic and, you know, I watched the other people in the pool and I had grown up swimming on the swim team from the time I was six or seven years old, um, mm-hmm. up until high school. And so I had this mental image of what I, what I looked like. And, you know, I wanted to show off for everybody and show them how great of a swimmer I was. Yeah. <laughs> and I saw the underwater video. I was like, oh, whoa, no, I've got so many things to work on. And oh, yeah. um, you're right. Without that feedback, you can think that you're doing everything right. But you need to, to see it um, or have someone show you or tell you or physically sort of uh, put your arm or shoulder or, or foot in the right place um, in yeah. order to, to make progress. So. Um, otherwise you're just, you're, you're still swimming, you're still moving forward, but with all of your, all of your flaws and warts and everything. That's that's where, that's where coaches really bring value to the equation. You know, in my view that, you know, Mm -hmm. giving that feedback and, and, you know, the corrective measures and that sort of thing. The other thing I do a lot too, is uh, I have somebody video me during practice and because I'll work on something for a while. Okay. Let's video it. Then I'll compare it to, okay, here's what was a month ago. Yeah. Am I really, you know, accomplished what I want to or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, you know, I'm doing that kind of stuff. The technology anymore is, is, is amazing what they can do with things, you know, with the oh, other yeah. cameras and, and so on. It is. So um, um, when did you start? Um, so you're on a master's swim team. When did you start competing yeah. in master's um, uh, competitions? Oh, <laughs> actually the, um, um, it's probably the, it was two weeks before I started swimming full-time with masters. Okay. Yeah. I didn't do the casual in the afternoon, but then I was going to switch to the morning full-time. Okay. And, and I, uh, entered a, a long course, uh, masters meet two weeks before Sheila came, uh, got on board as coach. Okay. And I said, well, I just, I've got a baseline. Okay. Yeah. You know how I'm doing and, and whatever. Did you know that and she was I, coming at that point? I mean, was it yeah, sort of planned? Yeah. I didn't know it. You know, Ira told us. Yeah. And, um, but I thought, well, that's just, I want to be a swimmer and I need, need a swim meet. So I, I hadn't been on the blocks like for, I don't know how many years, 30 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I never swum in a long course pool before. Oh and, boy. Uh, it's a, it's a big change. Tell me about it. Yeah. And, and I, <laughs> you know, I was, you know, I, I swam a hundred freestyle and I think I, you know, went out in like 40 seconds. I came back in like a minute 20 or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, Talk about uh, pacing. I, actually, I, I could, it was a 201, I think was my time in the hundred. Okay. okay. And, uh, and I was oh, God. I can respect <laughs> that for a, <laughs> for a long course first time. But, uh, so I like things to work on. And, uh, but that, that was the first time. Then, uh, you know, Sheila, you know, encouraged us to compete. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we, you know, do short course stuff the first part of the year and, uh, uh, then transition long course in the summertime and, and then the short course meters in the fall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so actually got three seasons with, with swimming. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I would usually, I have been doing about three short course meets uh, in the spring. Um, a couple of long course meets. Mm-hmm. Um, some of that's been kind of curtailed by my officiating work. But, by your uh, what? Then officiating. Oh, officiating. Right. So I want to get yeah. to that. And, and then, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, do a, like a short course meters thing in the fall just because it's different. You know, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Um, so favorite stroke? Butterfly. <laughs> Me too. I, th- I think you and I are built the same. Um, yeah. You mentioned something about having short legs uh, interfering yeah. with your uh, 
sporting ability, and I, I can definitely relate to that. Um, butterfly was also my favorite stroke when I was on the swim team as a kid. Um, yeah. I was the only one who would be willing to swim it in a meet um, yeah. for, for a long time. And then even still, it, it's one of my favorites because there's so many uh, so many nuances. You can't, if you're really strong and really powerful, you can struggle through butterfly. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some uh, some techniques that, that if you can incorporate them, it makes it much less effortful. And then you can sort of choose when to add the power that you want. Um, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Are you familiar with the Butternuts Club? Yes. yes. <laughs> Are you a member? No, I'm not. So, <laughs> not that crazy. The, the Butternuts Club, you should be. Um, the Butternuts Club is uh, is open to anyone who has verified uh, 500 yards uh, or more of legal butterfly without taking a break. So legal turns, legal strokes. Um, yeah. And it just has to be verified by another swimmer. It doesn't have to be, you know, it's not like the Guinness book of world records where you need to have the uh, certified official with you. Right. Um, yeah. and, and I had been, I wanted, I heard about it. I wanted to join it. I had improved my butter, butterfly a lot. Um, it was becoming a lot easier. And so I was training for it one summer in our long course pool. Um, and so I think the furthest I got continuous butterfly without having to stop and stand up was 75 meters. So down (laughs) and then back halfway. And, but I was determined I was going to add 25 meters every week until I could do this. Um, but it wasn't until, uh, I went to a conference, uh, a month later up in, um, up in the Finger Lakes and, uh, I heard a speaker, uh, named, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, he wrote a book about, uh, about endurance training and had these concepts that he calls push and pull, you know, rather than pushing yourself towards a goal, you know, here's your goal. There's the finish line or there's the top of the hill, you know, feel Mm -hmm. yourself drawn towards that goal rather than forcing yourself to get there. Mm -hmm. So, um, we had the, uh, uh, buoy line set up that was 200 meters long. And Mm -hmm. one of the people with, um, as a joke said, okay, butterfly all the way. And so I Mm start swimming butterfly And I look up in between breaths and nobody else is swimming butterfly, (laughs) but I didn't stop. I saw that every time I'd come up for a breath, I'd see that, that orange buoy 200 meters away. And it got, it got bigger and bigger and bigger very slowly. And I got to the 200 meters and I thought I could do another one of these. And so I I turned and I did another one. I ended up doing three lengths all together and I had five witnesses. So. Oh, super. That's great. Okay. So you had mentioned officiating. Tell me how and when that came about. What made you decide to become an official? And, and what's, um, what's involved in becoming a swim official? Okay. Um, again, we have the, the kids team that's associated with our tsunami group. And typically, for age group swimming, um, officials come from the parents' ranks. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, so they, they're continually, rec- as you know, kids age out and stop swimming, they recruit new parents coming in. So uh, Ira was, was organizing, you know, a, a orientation seminar okay, or clinic for a new set of parents. And he just mentioned to me one day, hey, you know, I know you love this stuff. You volunteer at meets anyway. Why don't you come to the officials clinic? Mm-hmm. And, and the process with uh, USA Swimming is that you you first have to go to a, a clinic conducted by a certified instructor. Okay? Mm-hmm. So you start out as a stroke and turn official. So you go to a stroke and turn clinic. Once you complete that, then you're allowed to start apprenticing mm-hmm. and you have to do 20 apprentice hours at, I guess, three different meets. Um, and you're with, you know, a certified official. Okay. You're allowed to 
uh, make calls and whatever, but you know, the, the, sort of the mentor has to, has to confirm it. Okay. Basically. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, once you can put the 20 hours, then there's a, uh, basically an exit exam or oral exam, mm -hmm. uh, with, with the, uh, meet director where they, you know, review everything with you. Do you feel confident? Do you need more time as printing as apprenticing, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you become certified if, if they sign off on you and then you can go and, and, you know, do that. It's a progressive thing too, where by position where the, the the lowest rung is the stroke and turn official. Either you're judging strokes inside of the pool or turns on the end of the pool. Mm -hmm. And there you go up to a starter. Okay. And the same kind of thing. You have to go to the starter's clinic. Uh, you're, you have to apprentice so many hours on the direction of the certified starter mm -hmm. and uh, whatever. Then it goes from starter to uh, deck referee, then to meet referee. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it's just a progressive kind of thing. The meet referees, the, the most involved because you have to have knowledge of the timing system and, uh, you know, some other organizational aspects of doing meets. Yeah. Uh, but in parallel with that, um, you know, this is all administered by, by states, basically. Okay. You know, under the USA Swimming uh, Halo. They also have national ratings or qualifications. Okay. okay? So if you're a certified stroke uh, intern official in Florida, you can ask to be evaluated uh, to be get a national rating. And mm -hmm. there's, uh, there's N2 and N3. N2 is the first step where they observe you at a meet, it has to be a, a qualifying meet. Uh, and usually they're long course, you know, big meets. And they have a evaluator who watches you at that position mm -hmm. for the course of the meet. You have to do so many sessions and over the meet, usually they're, you know, multi-day meets. And then at the end, they do an evaluation whether or not to advance you. Mm -hmm. Once you, the N2 uh, certification lets you do sectional and regional meets, mm -hmm. okay? So uh, after I got my into the stroke and turn, I could go up to uh, uh, Speedo sectionals up in University of Florida. Okay, mm -hmm. bigger meet, uh, you know, your stroke and turn official or whatever. Uh, there's still some mentoring that goes on if you're you know newbie, newbie but uh, uh, it's a higher level of, of swimming, obviously. Yeah. Beyond that, they have what's called the N3 category. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you're if you're N2, you can be evaluated for N3 after serving you know so many meets as experience uh and n3 gets you basically to national debt okay okay um you can you know you're you going the pool where you can apply to do olympic trials or, or, or bad example uh -huh. <laughs> people don't apply for that really but but you know national championships yeah um uh the tier pro series okay mm -hmm. is you know n3 kind of thing so i i got my uh national rankings in uh Stroke and turn. Also, there's a what's called a chief judge, okay, mm -hmm. which is it's kind of you supervise a group of uh, stroke and turn officials on on the deck all the time, and uh, that's let me go to get higher level meets. I, I was able to do the uh, the tier pro meet in uh, Indiana, Indiana University last year, mm -hmm. okay, and I mean it was just mind blowing experience, <laughs> you know? and uh, uh, I've always loved watching elite swimmers, but you know, have a whole pool full of them at one time, right? It, it's something, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, quick story. You know, I got there a day early and kind of got acquainted, but then I was, uh, I knew I was going to be the turn judge in lane one for the first morning, uh, plim session. And when you're in a meet like that, they don't give you a heat sheet. So you don't really know who's swimming. Okay. okay. You just there to judge the swimmer, mm -hmm. you know, the, you know, the higher level officials, you know, people deal with it. You is, call it something. is that in order to prevent any preconceived notions yeah, yeah, just, in your lane? 
it, part of it, yeah. And part of it's, just, it's so it's not, not everybody's carrying a clipboard around or whatever, you know. Sure. And what they do, actually, it's interesting that uh, a meet like that, you, you know, raise your arm if you, you observe something. Yeah. And uh, they have reserve officials. And if you raise your arm, the chief judge immediately pulls you off the deck. They stick the reserve person in your place. Mm-hmm. And they interview you off deck. Okay, what did you see? Okay. What rules violated? You know, and then they either confirm or, or reject the, the call. Yeah. But anyway, it was the first you know morning session. It was a like 200 uh, freestyle preliminaries for women. Mm-hmm. And I'm you know, good, you know you stand up the right time to go down and look at the turn. And about the second time the swimmer came down, I go, "That's Katie Ledecky." Please don't do anything. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to by you. Wow. So, uh, but it, it just you know it, it's funny, and, and I have to say too that. Uh, Again, I got there a day early and the mute had a chance to see some of the kids or the, the swimmers at, at uh, their training sessions. Mm-hmm. The Olympians are, are, to a person, the nicest people in the world. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've not met anybody from the U.S. that, that wasn't very cordial, nice, spend time talking to you, you know, saying hi. Yeah. And it just, you know, it really, it was impressive. Uh, I got to know Nathan Adrian, you know, fairly well. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point where he would come up and kid with me during the course <laughs> of the meet. Uh, you know, talking to Nathan one day and, and you know, uh, somebody's standing behind me saying hi or talking and it's Lily King. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so it's just like, you know, you're, you died and went to heaven. You know, swimming, <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. Well, that, that's such a great story. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I hope that I haven't sort of made up uh, this fairy tale in my mind about, uh, you know, your, your story arc of endurance yeah. athleticism, but the fact that you have overcome so much and not let it slow you down in terms of continuing to explore your, your own yeah. limits. Uh, you show up every morning for masters, regardless of who the coach is, you throw yourself into competition and now you're officiating it uh, at the highest level of, of swimming. I, I just think that's a great, great story well, and something that lots of people can learn from and be inspired well, from. Yeah. I just want to say too, that, that, you know, I feel very lucky and blessed. Okay. Again, as you mentioned earlier, I've had great doctors along the way, very mm-hmm. supportive of what I do. I know that there's people that have had similar conditions to mine who have not had the same outcome. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I mean, that there are things that can happen and uh, not everybody recovers the same way. I, I think, again, as I mentioned earlier, the fact that I've always been active and healthy helped me through this process. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but it, it's, you know, I've been lucky. And another thing, too, is, is I know more about my health than most of the guys I swim with who are, quote, unquote, healthy. Yeah. Okay. Um, I know how my heart works. I, I know, you know, this is going to do this, this is going to do that. Um, again, I, I apologize if we use too much jargon, you know, but. but That's I, okay. Kind of, but by know, this course. time in our podcast, everyone will be an expert because I'm going to put <laughs> notes in and people can pause yeah. and read. <laughs> but, but, you know, I've always tried to, you know learn about my condition. Okay. Uh, I just don't want somebody blindly tell me, well, did you get this, that, whatever. I, I try to understand what's going on with it. Yeah. And, uh, my cardiologist, you know, I've been the same cardiologist for 20 years and he's a great guy, uh, Dr. Rick Ayura here in, in Sarasota. And mm-hmm. he know he knows that I'm into it. So he can talk to me in a different way than he'd be talking to most of his patients. Yeah. He got this, he got that, whatever. He shows me things, you know, and yeah, and and I- he, I can guarantee as a physician that when you have a patient that's responsive like that, it's, uh, it's a lot easier to, to continue sharing information because, um, because it's appreciated. Yeah. But again, I just think, and I've seen some guys that, you know, just, oh, I've always been healthy. I don't need to go to the doctor. And mm-hmm. you know, yeah, you do. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> so I just want to follow up with a few questions to wrap things sure. up. 
What what is your current time for a 100 meter long course freestyle? <laughs> Did you improve? Oh yeah, I, I think my last I, I'm gonna say 126. I haven't oh, done long fantastic. course free in in probably a year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that's um, a big improvement from 201. Yeah, 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 and it's, it's well, a, actually you know it, it was you know I was uh, I was kind of stuck when I was doing triathlon uh, before I started bachelor swimming. I was kind of stuck at like it like around the 140 per hundred, you know, mm-hmm. and that's in yards. Uh, pace for, well, and, and, yeah. And, and uh, then uh, uh, started working with Sheila and I immediately dropped time. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was on the one twenties, you know, for a hundred uh, yard right away. Mm-hmm. I think the, my fastest time is in practice. I actually went to one seventeen in yards uh-huh. one Great. time, which was, you know, I was still on my mind that day, but yeah. Um, uh, you know, I've, I've made improvement, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, I've kind of, you know, first you have, you know, on the curve, you have great improvement, then you, it, it flattens out. Okay. So, you know, faster mm-hmm. you go, the harder it is going faster. Yep. And, and so I'm kind of point now where I'm really having to work on the details, you know, to, and the conditioning and other things to, you know, see improvement, but mm-hmm. uh, and yeah. not having time in the pool right now is, is I'm tr- not helping that, but yeah, sure. You know. Yeah. And then I wanted to ask about butterfly. I think I saw a recent post on Facebook uh, that you had competed in uh, national, Masters competition in butterfly, do I have that right? Um, or is it was it just your national ranking based on time? National ranking based on time, probably. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I saw the uh, the Pan Am Masters was here in the mm-hmm. states uh, uh, in 2018. I swam in that. I was swam the 50 uh, free in that. Uh-huh. I was gonna. I wanted to do the fly, but it was like the next day, and it was like another night in Orlando, uh-huh. you know, 300, 300 night motel rooms. <laughs> How much is that swim worth to you? <laughs> That's right. But yeah. it was, it was fun doing that as an experience, but, uh, um, Oh, you know, I, I mean, I've had milestones all the way along, you know, I, you know, I started out uh, in the 50 fly and, you know, okay, I want to break 50 seconds. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then you do 49. Okay. Now I want to do, you know, get down to sub 40. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I can practice again. I've done maybe like 37 or something like that. Okay. Um, but, uh, my problem is the last couple of years, I, I, I've missed a lot of meets for different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, build up something, then all of a sudden I can't do the meet, but, uh, my practice times have been improving yeah. still. Uh, we can get butterflies. We talked earlier, it, a lot of it's technique and, uh, uh, yeah, one more, you know, call out too. uh, I think you've probably seen that uh, we have college teams that come down to Sarasota yeah, for the uh-huh. Christmas breaks. Universal Louisville uh, it comes every year. Mm-hmm. And I've got to know Arthur Albiero, the head coach, uh-huh. as well. And, uh, but Kelsey Dahlia, it used to be Kelsey Worrell, um, swam for them and is now one of the pro group people. And I used to watch her some butterfly. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's just amazing. But, but I think I realized about elite swimmers is they all work hard. Yeah. I mean, there's talented swimmers that do well. But the Olympians, they're talented and they work. Okay, but I watched Kelsey and, and uh, every push off, she go 15 meters underwater, dolphin kicking uh-huh. every time. Okay, I mean that's how you get good. You know, she, this no lackadaisical laps. It's just every time she's, you know, pushing it. Okay, off the wall. Right. And, Consistent uh, practice and those uh, those finer skills. Yeah, and that's one thing Arthur told me too. He said, you know, that, that uh, especially with drills, he's always on the kids that that you know. People get sloppy doing drills. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm looking, you know, I got to look my way through this. Whatever he said, the the best swimmers are the ones that take the drills as seriously as they do the races. Yeah. Okay. And I they, believe of course, that. 
precise every time. And mm -hmm. uh, so you, you kind of learn, okay, here's how the guys do it. You know, how much of that can I transfer back down to what I'm trying to do is, you know, this old guy is on the other end of the pool. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, it's kind of the gray hair and all that. Like. <laughs> Last question. I always like to have people share their favorite swim sets or their favorite workouts. Do you have a favorite swim workout that you do in any stroke or a favorite set? Um, I, I mentioned, yeah, I like the, the Auburn sprint set just for freestyle sprinting. Okay. Mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the things I do, um, I do a lot of butterfly drills, obviously. You know, I'm, I'm kind of into the pool a lot of times yeah. because I'm the only one that wants to work on fly. Um, but I'll do like a, a progression set where um to build a you know, fly endurance where you, you start off you do one fly stroke finish in freestyle okay the second 25 you do two fly strokes rest okay. freestyle yeah okay yeah. so every 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 25 you're adding one more fly yeah stroke into it and it, it's a really good way to work on your endurance okay because mm -hmm. you get your kind of interval training within interval training to yeah. a certain extent do you do and, that continuously uh, or do you take a break between each 25 or does it just depend on your it, fitness you know level? just Continuously, yeah, and uh, you know, I, I'm about gosh, probably seven strokes, okay, mm -hmm. for 25, yeah. and so it, it, it works out to be about 200 usually. Okay. Okay. It, it depends on how far you push it off the wall. You know? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, I, and I, I try to you know count my, my dolphin kicks off the wall. A lot of times with drills, I do four. If I'm you know really swimming hard, I'll do maybe uh, seven, eight. Okay. Oh wow. Okay. So uh, yeah, that's, that, that's actually. One of the better parts of my swimming is underwaters, but um, uh -huh. <laughs> I like that set. I've never actually done that that particular version of it. Yeah. There's a set that I like that's kind of similar to that. You do you swim a hundred IM, okay. um, fly back breast free, and then you rest. And then the next time you do fifty fly, and then twenty five back breast free. And mm -hmm. then the third one, you do 50 fly, 50 back, 25 breast, 25 free. And you mm -hmm. continue building up until you, you're doing a 200 IM. And then okay. you subtract the strokes off the front end. So when you come back down, you do 25 fly, 50 back, 50 breast, 50 free. And then, you know, 25 fly, 25 back, 50 breast, mm -hmm. 50 free. And uh, it's a nice way to, if I just decided I was going to swim 200 IM, I would... Yeah. I would die after about, you know, 37 <laughs> yards, <laughs> sure. uh, but it's a nice way to sort of build up your, uh, your endurance and your pacing and your expectations for how, how quickly sure. you can swim those sets. Mm -hmm. Great. Okay. Well, I really appreciate you spending this, this hour with me. And again, I'm, I'm very inspired by your story and I just love how you've sort of completed the circle of going from a, a, a beginner athlete, beginner triathlete to becoming uh, a, a swim official at the highest level, working uh, working with people like Katie Ledecky. Yeah. That's that's just a great story and very inspiring. So thanks well, for just, joining uh, me. It was a lot of fun, Suzanne, and, and we got to get together one of these days. You know? Yeah. We gotta get down here. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> when the pools open back up, we'll swim together. Yeah, we'll do that. Sounds All right. Great. Thanks a lot, Mark. Take care. Thanks, Suzanne. Bye.
interview. Again, I think that Mark's story is just incredible. And, you know, everyone has a story. If you are interested in telling your story, then please get in touch. You can get a hold of me at Suzanne at try to listen. That's T-R-I, the number two, listen.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, I would love to have your feedback. You can do me a big favor and give this a great rating on iTunes. Um, Share it with your friends, share it with your triathletes, Uh, your uh, club members, and help other people get the message about uh, Mark's fantastic story. Upcoming podcasts that you can look forward to hearing at Try to Listen include interviews with Alexander Paul, Bobby McGee, who's always a pleasure to talk to, Pete Jacobs, Steven Seiler, Thad Beatty, and if you have other folks that you think would make a great interview, again, please let me know. And I wanted to give a special message today for coaches and self-coached triathletes that are serious about learning the physiology and the science behind training. I have another website called tricoachacademy.com, and I offer webinars live um, for free. And then after the live webinar, I usually put up the free replay for about a week. And then after that, it goes into the membership site where it, where it can be purchased as a standalone, or you could purchase access to all of the previous webinars as a monthly or annual membership. So if you're interested in that, head on over to tricoachacademy.com. If you're looking for something that you don't see there, again, feel free to reach out to me. You can reach me at either one of these domains, Suzanne at trytolisten.com or Suzanne at tricoachacademy.com. And finally, if you're looking for training plans, I offer training plans for every distance of triathlon. Um, You can get in touch with me for training plans at my regular coaching website, steelcityendurance.com. So I just want to be sure that you guys are aware of the other activities that I do besides the podcast here. Again, I really appreciate your support and look forward to talking to you next time with our next podcast interview. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.